this evening we'll continue our uh, series in First Peter. Um, we've been at, this is our fourth week now in First Peter. Uh, we've got next week, and then we'll have a few weeks where we come out of First Peter, but then we begin to reinforce what we've been hearing from First Peter. Um, Abby, Robert's wife, is uh, very, very pregnant and is due any day, so he will be out for a few weeks, and um, I'll be here, others will be here, uh, reinforcing these themes uh, from other places in Scripture. Uh, but let's pray and um, ask the Lord to help, uh, help, help me and help you too. Uh, Father in heaven, I pray you would um, help me as your messenger, Lord, that you would uh, help me to be speak boldly as I should, Lord, that you would open a door for this message, um, Lord, that I would um, do this not under uh, out of my own power or um, ability, but Lord, that this would be a demonstration of the power of your spirit. Uh, this is your act. You have not only sent me, but Lord, you are empowering uh, indeed every word. So, Lord, do so. Lord, I pray you would uh, help us as hearers too, Lord, that you would uh, you would take off the blinders from our eyes, Lord, that we, um, uh, Lord, that you would expose the deceitfulness of our hearts, uh, Lord, that you would confirm us of your grace and your love for us, and, uh, and Lord, that you would uh, move us into new places of obedience uh, because of what we hear in your word. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I, I really, uh, I, I love this time of year, being a, a large uh, man, the summer is not my favorite time. Um, I get hot very easily. Um, I really love air conditioning. Um, I really love couches. I really love showers. Um, but I know that being outdoorsy is cool, and I, and I get the upside being an outdoorsman. Uh, I do. But there's just way too much downside in it for me. Um, See, some of you may have grown up in homes where athletics was a uh, really high priority. Uh, your parents were into athletics, therefore they expect you to play those um, kinds of athletic events. You attend athletic events. You watch them on TV. But that was not my house. Um, my house, what was expected is, is that you enjoy the outdoors. You have bonfires. You go on hikes. Uh, you buy pop-up campers and attach them uh, to, uh, with a hitch on the back of your minivan or your truck. And you go on vacations with them. That was my childhood. And I hated it. Um, however, the older I got, the more I saw just how much my dad, in particular, he really valued being outdoors with his family. Uh, I, I complained about it as a child, and then I got to my senior year of high school, and he said, son, I've got the best idea for, for, for you, uh, for your graduation present from high school. Um, let's go to the Boundary Waters for a week. And um, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I agreed, because I knew that Boundary Waters probably meant we were going to be outside for a week, but I knew my dad would get a big kick out of it, and I love my dad, so I, I agreed. Um, but here's what the Boundary Waters are. Here's what it is or are. Um, they are a series of interconnected lakes on the boundary of Canada and Minnesota. Uh, there, are, there are thousands thousands and thousands of acres of lakes, and they're all interconnected. And when you get up there, um, it's an outdoorsman's paradise because um, it's conserved and, and, and it cannot be privately owned. Um, it's really close to being untainted wilderness territory. Uh, the only way you can get around, you I mean, of course, you can walk. Uh, but, and in the water, you can't have anything with a motor. Uh, you can have a canoe, and that's about it. Um, and so we signed up with this expedition, uh, this agency, and they give us the packs and the food and the camping gear and the fishing gear. And here we go, out on our canoe for a week. Um, 
But one day we woke up and it was sunny when we started. Uh, the skies were totally clear. Um, but as the day went on, the wind picked up more and more. It stayed sunny, but the wind kept on picking up. And when we were finished fishing for the day, we tried to go back the opposite direction. You see, the wind t all took us one way, and the wind blew in the same direction all day long. So when we turned uh, the canoe to go the other way, uh, my dad is also a, a large individual, and uh, we, we were no match uh, for the wind. And so we, we, so we went in this little nook, fished for half an hour, tried again. Didn't work. Fished for half an hour, tried again. We did this three or four times, and finally we just said, hey, we're going to rough it for the, for the night. Uh, so we, we pull up. We didn't have any food. Uh, we didn't have anything to start a fire with, to cook the fish that we caught. Uh, so we were hungry. Uh, the sun went down. This is Minnesota. I know it's June, but it's still Minnesota. And we got cold. And uh, my dad and I were, were, were laying there using our life jackets, at, more or less not as life jackets, but as blankets. And, um, and it's just comedic how funny this is at this point. And I said, Dad, wouldn't it be hilarious if it just started raining? And about that time, we f I felt a raindrop, and then it just poured and poured and poured and poured. So here we are. We're cold, we're hungry, and now we're wet. The only means of shelter we have is we have two men who are 6'4", uh, who cuddle up underneath a canoe. <laughs> it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And these were troublesome times. Uh, this was a tough night. When, when I, if I were to, I mean, it's funny now, looking back on it all those years ago, um, but it was not funny then. And really for us, um, anytime we as Westerners, we experience this kind of suffering, even if it's this kind, this particular kind that's funny, uh, we look for the reason why we experience this kind of suffering. Because we, we view suffering as a curse. See, if we can find the reason, then we can expel the person who's at fault, or we can figure out how it can be prevented in the future. So whose fault was it that we got in this situation? Could it have been prevented if we had a better idea of the weather patterns? Were we ill-prepared for the worst-case scenario? Yes, yes, and yes, yes. But maybe you've gotten into some trouble times, and it's not a laughing matter. In 15 years, is it going to make it a laughing matter either? See, it's one thing to be hungry, cold, and wet for a night, but all of us know suffering that has gone so much deeper than just one night out in the woods. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with this kind of deep suffering? Well, First Peter, uh, chapter one, verses six and nine, it tells us very plainly. So let's read it and uh, and see what God would have to tell us. Verse six: In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, do, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. So he starts it in verse 6 with this phrase, in this you rejoice. Uh, th th this phrase is connecting us back to verses 1 to 5. And in verses uh, 1 to 5, we saw doctrine in a very saturated form. It's jam-packed. And in that, those, just those five verses, we see what theologians call the ordo salutis. The ordo salutis, if you translate it from the Latin phrase, it would mean the order of salvation. It's also called the golden chain. And we see that our, we see the whole thing here. It starts out with 
um, that, that, that our salvation started in the mind of God because we were elect exiles. And then we were caused to be born again. And then we're justified by the sprinkling of his blood. And then we're sacrificed, sanctified by the Spirit in order to obey Jesus. And then we see our glorification as our inheritance awaits us that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, kept in heaven for us. So it's jam-packed with promise for the Christian. And what Peter is telling us is that we need to know a lot of doctrine in order to suffer well. You, you might say that doctrine divides and Jesus unites, but what are you going to do when suffering hits? What happens when your emotions prove untrustworthy and your willpower is zapped? Then what? You're going to need the deep wells of Christian doctrine to sustain you. The kind of wells that we saw in verses 1 to 5. So in this you rejoice. In this we rejoice because our salvation is so great. All we heard in verses 1 to 5. But then Peter goes on in verse 6 and he says that our suffering is varied. He says it's temporary. And then he says it's necessary. But we see that it's varied. It's, you see the word various trials. Um, trials could mean suffering due to persecution. I mean, that's what First Peter's audience is going through. But it's not limited to the suffering we endure as Christians to persecution. It's not limited to that. Peter uses this all-inclusive term to mean any kind of distress, any kind of sadness, any kind of heartache. Because the Bible understands that our suffering is as varied as there are cereal boxes in the cereal aisle. There are a ton of different kinds. Sometimes it's our physical sickness is the source of our suffering. Sometimes it's the result of our poor, our selfish decisions. Sometimes our suffering is a result of poor choices made by others. Sometimes those decisions have racist implications. Sometimes it's physical abuse. and Sometimes it's slander. And we suffer because of other people's poor choices. So we see that the suffering is, is, is varied, but doesn't this contradict what we heard in verses 1 to 5? See, as Christians, we, we are supposed to have our heads in the clouds with this, this golden chain, these glorious promises. But then we see in verse 6 that we're grieved by various trials. So we have head in the clouds and various trials. How do those two things go together? See, Peter just moved from ecstasy in verses 1 to 5 to agony in verse 6. He does so because Christians are both sadder and happier than the rest of the world because of the gospel. Christians are both sadder and happier than the rest of the world because of the gospel. See, think about Jesus. He had this uninterrupted peace. Jesus never got frantic about things he shouldn't have got frantic about. He has that perfect peace all the time. He had perfect joy because he had unending fellowship with the Father. But then at the same time, even though he had perfect peace, he had perfect joy, he also cried all the time. He was a man of sorrows. See, because what the gospel does for you and for me is that it gives us the emotional freedom to admit a lot of sin in our lives. It gives us the freedom to mourn the sin that we see in the world in order to make us sad. See, but without the gospel, what happens is we can't admit our sin. So we repress it, we rationalize it, we justify it, we ignore it. But we're happy because of the happiness that stems from the glorious nature of our salvation. The kinds of things we saw in verses 1 to 5. 1 to five. See, the problem for us as Christians is 
when these things become unbalanced. See, if we're only happy and we're never sad, we're, we're doing extraordinary mental gymnastics that is likened to those of cult followers. But if we're only sad, then we have given our grief more power than joy. See, joy and suffering, they're not a contradiction. They're a paradox. Various trials. And then he says it's going to happen for a little while in verse 6. Um, if you were like me when I read this on Monday for the first time, I said, how long's a little while? <laughs> Can you tell me that, please? But what little while is trying to say is, a little while is trying to say that our current trouble is temporary because there's a future that awaits us where there will be no hint of trouble. As Christians, our, our pain is temporary and our salvation is eternal. So this would be a great comfort to Peter's audience. It would be a comfort to you. So suffering is varied. It's, it's, it's temporary. Uh, and lastly, we see that it's necessary. Doesn't that sound strange? That our suffering is necessary? It's not just strange. I think it's conf- it sounds confusing even. So, so why would a good God who's at his core love make suffering necessary for the objects of his love? That's a good question. It's one that I've struggled with all week as a friend of mine died from cancer this morning even. Peter says it's necessary in verse 6. And it gives us three reasons why in verses 7 to 9. We'll see in the first part of, of these are my three points. It was a really long introduction. Um, in the first part of verse 7, uh, he says it's necessary for the improving of our faith. The second half of verse 7, we see that it's necessary for the glory of Christ. In verses 8 and 9, it says that our suffering is necessary for our joy. So let's, let's do the first part of verse 7. Uh, suffering is necessary for the improvement of our faith. You see it right there. It says, um, here's why we face those, here's why we're grieved by those various trials. It's so that the tested genuineness of our faith, that's more precious than gold, that perishes, is tested by fire. See, what Peter is doing is he's extending this theme of faith that we saw in verse 5, where he said that our salvation is being guarded by God's power through our faith. But this same faith, this this faith that's being guarded, it must also be tested. It is indeed necessary, and these tests are through the fire of our various trials. And he compares the value of our faith with gold. I did a little um, research on gold. Uh, Britannica online, I think, is reliable. Um, and w- w- what it says is that uh, gold, it, it, it very readily bonds uh, with other metals, metals like zinc and copper and iron and silver, when it's mined. And so when it's mined, it's got to be refined. And the refining process removes the gold from the other metals that have been bonded with it. See, gold is a, a relatively soft metal. And it, and it melts quite easily compared to those others. And so when it melts at this, at this temperature, the other metals don't melt, but gold does. And what it does is it causes the gold to run off other metals very easily. And what Peter is trying to say is that the various trials of our life, it turn up the temperature of our life so that our faith is purified in the process. Isn't that what it feels like to go through trials? It just feels like somebody's turned up the knob uh, on the heat big time. You don't know if you can stand it any longer. It's because our faith is being refined. See, what happens is throughout the course of our life, our our faith bonds with our doubts. Our faith bonds with our wicked desires. Our faith bonds with our hardness of heart. 
And God loves us too much to let this remain the case. And his tool of choice to let our faith be tested are our various trials. See, this is what our Old Testament reading was on tonight. Uh, turn, turn there in your bulletin quickly. I don't know if you caught this. I remember reading these the first time uh, a few years ago and just being totally dumbfounded. But look what affliction, afflicted, I mean, that's the common word. Look what happens. Um, That this is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. So what are you going to need to get through affliction? It sounds like verse 6, in this you rejoice, that you're going to need the promise to comfort you in the midst of your affliction. Verse 67, uh, before, if he wasn't afflicted, what would have still happened? He would have continued to go astray. But what affliction taught him was obedience. Verse 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Again, obedience is the theme. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So again, it gets like verse 50, that we're going to need God's promises, God's word in order to get us through trials. So suffering is something that we should want, not for suffering's sake, but for the sake of our faith. See, what suffering does is it weans us off our self-confidence. Suffering drives us to prayer to our Savior. See, suffering, when combined with faith, it it, it softens us towards the things of God, and it makes us compassionate towards fellow sufferers. But suffering is necessary because it proves to be more valuable than gold. That's what the verse says. Your your faith, something you can't see or place an earthly value on, is worth far more than gold. See, when we suffer, we're faced with the fact that we can't take anything with us except our faith. So when it's refined, when it becomes perfected, we should rejoice. So that's one of the reasons we suffer, according to verse, verse, half, verse 7. The second half of verse 7 says that we suffer because of um, the glory of Christ. Suffering is necessary because it glorifies him. Um, it says um, to the, th- that this happens um, to the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, our suffering is necessary, not just for the improvement of our faith, but when our faith is improved, it glorifies Jesus. Um, we, 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 were, we confess our um, faith every week. Uh, to, to, tonight we did Heidelberg uh, question and answer one. We could do uh, the, we could do the, the Westminster Catechism uh, questions one, question answer one. And in it, it says, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? That's a big question, right? Uh, it's the one that philosophy books have filled up, filled up libraries and libraries and libraries with. Why, why do we exist? Do we exist to have a job? Do we exist to root for the cats? Uh, do, 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 we, do we exist to get married and have kids and live happily ever after? Do we eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow we'll die? Is that the chief end of man? No, see, the answer to the question uh, in catechism is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we exist, we don't exist to be religious or to be happy or to make the world a better place or to be kind. We exist to glorify Jesus. See, God is the creator and we're the creature. God is the one who caused us to be born again, not us. So if God is the cause of both our creation and our redemption, don't you think that he would be the goal of all things too? Even our lives? So if our whole life exists to glorify him, we shouldn't be surprised that our suffering glorifies him too. 
Think about Jesus again. As we wrestled with Jesus when we went through the book of Mark over the last several years before we got to 1 Peter, um, we found that the most exalted state that Jesus was in was the, his, his, his estate of humiliation. He shined brightest when he was at his lowest. See, the upside down, that, 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 that is the, the upside down nature of, our, of the kingdom. If Jesus shined brightest when he was suffering, I think that's where we shine the brightest too. A faith that is tested is beautiful. It's even more beautiful than gold. Um, think of if we had some masterpiece of gold that you saw at a, at a museum, an art show. Um, you wouldn't be thinking how, be, how beautiful the gold was. You'd be thinking about how skilled the goldsmith was. See, the gold wouldn't get the glory. The goldsmith would. How much more does God get the glory when at the end of time, and our faith is perfected, that God is glorified for his tedious, painstaking work in our lives. So why do we suffer? Yes, we, you do suffer for the improvement of your faith, but you suffer for a much, a much bigger cause too, the glory of God. And then Peter shifts. Uh, we get to verses 8 and 9, and we see that our suffering is thirdly and lastly for our joy. It's for our joy. Um, Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. It sounds, it sounds like bad English, doesn't it? <laughs> you rejoice with joy. But what Peter's trying to do is just, he's saying joy times a million. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, somehow in the midst uh, of our various trials, Somehow we rejoice with this inexpressible joy. See, God sees that our trials are necessary because our joy is his priority. It sounds strange, doesn't it? Why, why would we suffer? So that our joy might increase. And this joy that we have, we have it and we don't see him. We love him and we believe in him, but we don't see him. So our faith is in some ways a blind faith, but it's a rewarding faith, and the reward is in the future. But the deposit that you and I have now is our joy. You know Peter, uh, when he writes this, he says, though you have seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. You know he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of respect for his audience, right? Because Peter has seen him. <laughs> Peter did eat a meal with him on the beach where Jesus reassured him of his love three times. Peter did see him wash his feet. Peter did see him uh, walk on the water. Peter did see him calm the storm. Peter did see him eat a meal with he and his mother. Jesus, he saw Jesus do all this. And then he writes to people that have never seen him. And Jesus knew this day would come too. He knew that there would be a day when people would love him though they hadn't seen him. John 20, 29 says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knew it would come. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What he's saying is that association that we have with Jesus goes far more beyond, it goes, it goes far beyond sight because it's spiritual in nature. Our faith is what unites us to Jesus so that the New Testament writers could say that just as Jesus has been crucified, so we've been crucified. Just as Jesus has been resurrected, we've been resurrected. How is that possible? It's possible through the spiritual nature of our faith. 
Though, though we have not seen him, we love him. And, and when we suffer, it ignites our joy. But however, the, the, the joy of knowing one's ultimate future, it doesn't make the distress of our current circumstances go away. It doesn't make them less real. If you were with us this summer uh, when we talked about the Psalms, uh, you'll remember uh, that having your heads in the clouds and ignoring the distress of your suffering, it's totally unacceptable in the, in, in, in the view of the psalm, psalmists. So what does it look like to be honest about your distress and joyous in your future salvation? How are you honest about your distress and your suffering, but you have joy because of your salvation? Let me give you some questions just to ask to help you get, to come at this, to regain some balance in your life. What's at the bottom of your life? Your faith or your pain? What are you believing is the stronger reality? Your circumstances or your glorious future? Is your joy real because it's based on what is above, or are you ignoring, ignoring your pain and faking it before the world? Has the honesty about your pain become a, a cycle of despair with little to no acknowledgement that heaven awaits your arrival? We need balance here to be honest about our pain and to be joyful in our salvation. I thought of a, a woman named Kara Tippetts as I read this passage. Um, Kara Tippetts, uh, she died on March the 22nd of this year. Uh, she had a long battle with cancer. Uh, she had four very young children, and she was married to a church planner. And she started this blog called Mundane Faithfulness. And in it, she recorded her reflections on how she suffered, how she lived her life, and how she sought to grow in her faith while fighting her cancer. And she was interviewed uh, shortly before death, and she was asked, when you think about heaven, what do you long for? And she answered with this, I think just to see Jesus, just to see him face to face, and to see in his face how he feels toward me. I know I'm a daughter that's cherished. I know I'm loved by God. But I wonder what it looks like in the face of Jesus. See, I, I know what my face looks like when I look at my children, but what does his face look like towards me? He doesn't have any record of my wrongs. He's not disappointed with me the way that I get disappointed with myself and my failings. Sakara Tippett is saying what Peter's saying. If you love Jesus when you can't see him, what do you think it's going to be like when you get to see him? So if you go through trials, whether it's cancer, whether it's a job loss, whether it's a broken relationship, you can let the guarantee of your salvation in the future you have bring you joy in today. See, when Jesus is your hope, your suffering won't prevent your joy. In fact, you will rejoice in spite of your suffering. So Christian, how do you view your suffering? Your suffering is not punishment for your sin because God is cruel. He's not arbitrary when he tests your faith. He's not capricious. Your suffering is purposeful, just like it was for Jesus. Jesus didn't suffer for his sin. He suffered for yours. His purpose and his suffering was to bring about your salvation. So now that you have a Savior who can empathize with your pain, you know that when he authorizes suffering in your life, that it's for your good. 
See, Jesus had a harder life than you. No matter how much you suffer, Jesus suffered more. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you wouldn't have to. Why? Because he loved you. Your loving Savior works with great skill and great intricacy as he uses his tool of suffering in your life. Your Savior loved you enough to suffer on your behalf, and he loves you enough to refine your faith. He loves you enough to give you the opportunity to glorify him, and he loves you enough to bring you great joy in the here and now as you place your trust in the then and there of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would assure us of your presence in our lives as we suffer. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to be honest. You you would help us um, be angry. Uh, But Lord, I pray in our anger and our honesty that we wouldn't sin. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we're honest, Lord, that we would also have great joy as we consider our salvation, that you are a God who doesn't ask his people to go through things that you yourself haven't gone through. And Lord, you do so uh, for your glory and our good. Lord, help us, uh, help us hold on to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.